I ask you please to turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. I forgot to read these. It'll be the fourth chapter. I ask you to please stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. Start reading in verse 17 of the fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians. Let's hear the Word of the Lord. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, and the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. And they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, ready to practice every kind of impurity. But this is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off the old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirits of your mind and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. for We are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hand, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Please be seated. I ask you to go to prayer and pray for me as I preach this text. Pray for yourselves as you sit on the proclamation of God's word this morning, that the Spirit would work, that he would help me. And he would be with you as well. Let's pray. Our God and Heavenly Father, we are like the um, man on the chariot that Philip met. Who was reading Isaiah. And Philip asked him, did he understand what he was reading? And he said, how can him unless someone teaches him? And, oh, God, you are the great teacher. Your spirit instructs us. So we pray now that your Holy Spirit, our God, would be with us. That you would be with me, Lord, as I try to preach what I've written down. That you would be with the congregation as they sit. That they would not be sluggish. That they would not be distracted. That they would give ear to the scriptures being proclaimed. As this is the primary means of grace. Oh, Lord, uh, I ask you to help me. I ask you to be with me. Uh, to declare with the power of your spirit these words, and that your people, O oh God, might be changed. We ask if any are here outside of grace, that you would save them. Any here hardened in lawlessness, that you would grant repentance. Meet our needs, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Consistency is a good thing, is it not? Unless you're consistently mean, or consistently grumpy, or consistently lazy, that's not a good thing. But consistency in the Christian life, living out the faith, is a good thing. As we are called in the scriptures to be Christ-like. 
reminds you the first three chapters of this book deal with theology. He talks about God choosing us. He talks about the inheritance that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. He talks about the redemption that Christ has accomplished. All of these grand blessings that he talks about in the first three chapters of this book. Uh, absolutely amazing. Uh, the last prayer that he prays that we might be strengthened with power to know the love of God that passes understanding. So the gospel itself uh, is a presentation to us of the love of God. And the love of God that goes beyond comprehension because... How can it be that a God who is infinite in holiness and a God who is altogether righteous and altogether just can love a people that are altogether ungodly and wicked? How can that possibly be? And so, again, he says here, the love of God that passes all understanding, it goes beyond explanation, this great love that God has for us. And then as we get into the fourth chapter... What he does now is try and begin to apply the doctrine that he has taught. And we can ask here, uh, what difference does it make then? So what? You tell us all these things in chapter 3. You tell us all the work that God has done. Well, what now? Well, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is doing here. He's dealing with the what now to apply the doctrine taught. It seems that in so many cases today uh, that people think that the Scripture speaks of nothing of how they live their lives. And it is few and far between, I believe, when pulpits preach the gospel, where it has implications for the way that we live, the way that we think, the things that we do. It speaks to us about marriage and sex. It speaks to us about business and money. These things are talked about in the scriptures, and we are to give heed to it. Because by nature, you see, and by the sin remnant that still lives within us, we have a tendency to forget these things and live our lives the way that we want to without being burdened by the responsibilities placed upon us by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul here would have us to understand that this must not be the case. We have a responsibility, we have duties placed upon us when we come and embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to live our lives as Christians. We are to live our lives as though who have a knowledge of right and wrong, who have been enlightened uh, to these things by the Holy Spirit. And we understand this, that these things that are mentioned in the Bible that he talks about here in the text, uh, this uh, uh, being uh, truthful, this being honest, and the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and so forth, self-control. These things, listen to this, these things do not flow out of us automatically. It takes work. It takes effort. It takes obedience. Today, as you live your life, you have a responsibility then to live your life as one who's professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, it takes work and effort for us to practice the things that are mentioned here in the Scriptures. And so this morning, what have us to see... That because God's word places demands upon us, ethical demands of how we are to live, as believers, we are to seek to put into practice the dictates of Scripture, not for salvation, and not to uh, somehow enable us better to get to heaven, but for our obedience and commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Three things this morning. Believers must relate to one another on the basis of truth. Believers must relate to one another on the basis of forgiveness. And believers must relate to one another on the basis of being honest.
and the first thing, and then we'll just look at the first one this morning as far as uh, uh, we must be uh, deal with one another on the basis of uh, the truth. The consequence of conversion, of you coming to faith in Christ, brings you into the world of truth. It read in the scriptures that uh, uh, Christ himself is truth embodied. In the text that uh, Charles read from the Old Testament talked about, they were to put on truth and practice truth. So he says here in the text, therefore having put away falsehood. When did we put away falsehood? Well, it was one when we came to embrace Christ, we put away falsehood. We were committed then uh, to the truth of the gospel, committed then to living the truth in our lives, committed then to putting away lying far from us. As a believer, you have experienced effectual calling. There you were dead, dead to the things of Christ, dead to the things of God, dead spiritually. It says we were helpless in the world in the scriptures. While we're dead in our trespasses and sins is how the Bible describes it. And yet we were called by God's Spirit. Effectual calling, a little catechism definition, is the work of God's Spirit whereby convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our eyes in the knowledge of Christ, renewing our wills, He does persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the gospel. We call this regeneration. We call this the new birth. We are called, we are regenerated, and after that comes conversion of faith and repentance. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, they are a new creature. That's how we must consider ourselves. As we read in the scriptures, as he said here in the text earlier, you are to put off the old. It is essential that we understand the contradiction of living as if we're not converted. And it is essential we understand the old self was dead. And the old self had no interest in the things of Christ and was antithetical to who Jesus is, to who God is. But now we have been saved. Now totally different. And we are to put on the new self enlightened in the things of Christ. Totally different. Totally different. We can and we will, if you say, march to a very, very different drummer. So a part of that coming to Christ, that part of being a new creature, the part of putting off the old man is to be committed to truth. Now, we have to ask ourselves a question. Do Christians ever lie? I'll ask you a question. Have you ever lied? If you say, no, you're lying now. <laughs> we all have lied at some point in our lives. And we may lie in the future. Uh, we simply don't know. But we are to be understanding that we are to be committed to being truthful. We are to put on truth. Now, why does Paul feel this exhortation to tell them not to lie? Is it that these people that he's writing were perpetual liars? Well, uh, things to remember, lying is universal vice. Uh, missionaries, uh, this is, uh, I'm going to read this quote to you so I won't mess it up. Every missionary who has worked for a while with those still living in darkness can testify that not only thinking false thoughts, but also definitely telling lies and spreading false rumors is characteristic to the heathen world. Well, the people that have been converted here in Ephesus, very much a part of the heathen world, they were polytheistic. They worshipped Diana. The temple was there at Ephesus, as you may remember. And so lying was part and parcel to non-belief. If there's no God, if there's no accountability... Then why not lie? 
So these people have come out of that and line. Listen to this. It is hard to break a habit of sin. Just because you come, become converted, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden the things that used to tempt you are gone. They're not. They're still there. You have the strength of Christ to help you deal with those things, but they're still there. So if you had a habit of lying prior to your conversion, it doesn't all of a sudden disappear. Think about the scriptures. Think about the Old Testament, Abraham, the father of the faith, the one that God chose to establish the covenant whereby the line uh, went forward and Christ came from that promise made to Abraham. What did Abraham do? Well, the first thing he did, he went to Egypt and he told Pharaoh that his wife was his sister. Because uh, she was attractive and he was sure that Pharaoh would harm him if he did not tell them that uh, she was his sister. And he took her, Pharaoh took her and put her in his harem. Abraham stood by and let that happen. He was living out his lie because he was afraid. He had no faith. He was afraid. So what happens is the Lord deals with Pharaoh. And Pharaoh calls him before him and says, why did you do this? Why did you lie like this? And as if once was not enough, he did it again with Abimelech, another king. She's my sister. Okay, I'm going to take her. Fine, have her. And so Abimelech took his wife. (laughs) God comes to Abimelech in a dream and he says this, You are as good as dead. This woman is a married woman. So Abimelech calls Abraham in. What did I do to you? Did you put me in this position? So this Abraham, the father of our faith, the man who... Uh, justification by faith is identified by his faith. It's quoted from the Old Testament and the New Testament. Lie twice to save his own skin. He put the, whole, the purity of his wife in jeopardy for himself. Well, then the New Testament, what about the New Testament? Well, I know you think about Peter. Peter said to Jesus, others may leave you. I'm not. I'm going to be with you. They may desert you. I will never do that. Do you remember what happens when uh, Christ is in the garden and the soldiers come? Peter cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest. Christ puts it back on. So Peter follows from a distance. And uh, he goes into the courtyard. And there they take Jesus into this room. And while he's standing there... uh, After the arrest of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's waiting at the door, and he goes to warm himself by the fire, and a slave girl says, You were with Jesus, uh, the Galilean. He said, No. Mm, Mistaken. I was not with him. He moves on to another place, and it happens again. You were with, uh, with Jesus. No. No, I was not with Jesus. I was not. Remember the rooster crows third time you also with Jesus your accent gives you away you were with Jesus remember what Peter does the brave man I swear I don't know him I swear I've never seen him I swear I have no idea who this man is 
Recall what happens the rooster crows a second time. The crowing of a bird brought Peter under conviction. As he realized, he was a coward. He denied Christ. I don't know him. He had been with him for three years. He understood who Jesus was. He saw the miracles Christ performed. And yet, when it came down to it, when his life might have been in peril, he said, I have no idea who this man is. I swear. I don't know. This man, Peter, lied. So can we say then that we will never tell a lie because we're Christians? And the answer to that is absolutely not. We will lie. We can lie. And we do lie. Are we to lie? No. We are not to lie. And there is no such thing, listen, there is no such thing as an innocent lie. No such thing as a white lie. Sin is sin to God. There's no gray area as far as God is concerned. And then we all have heard this in the past. Well, is it ever right to lie to save someone's life, to protect someone? Two Southern theologians, and by the way, read the Southern theologians if you haven't read them. I would encourage you to do so. R.L. Dabney and James Henley Thornwell. Dabney was in Virginia at Union Seminary. Thornwell was in uh, Carolinas, I think in Columbia Seminary. Uh, Thornwell said we can never lie, not even to save a life. We have to tell the truth. Dabney said the wicked have forsaken their right to the truth. Therefore, they do not deserve it. And you know the story that the German soldier came to the door, asked if you had Jews, you were hiding Jews, would you say, I do, you may take them? I would just say, no, I'm not, I'm not hiding Jews. And I tend to agree with Dabney at that point. The wicked have forsaken their right to the truth. You may disagree with me. Well, disagree. But uh, that is my position on it. But uh, the overall word of God would have us to be truthful, to be committed to the truth, and to do so even when it costs us something to be committed to the truth. That we do not hide the fact that we're Christians. We don't hide the fact that we serve Christ, not at work. Someone came to me one time. Uh, he was a lawyer. He was asked to do something that was a compromise to his faith. And just asked my guidance on it. I appreciate his uh, thought that I have a certain amount of wisdom. And we just use the scriptures. And I said, you can't do that. He was struggling with it. And... The reason you can't do that is because you're a Christian and because of who Christ is. So you announce that, you say, you tell that. I can't do this because I serve Jesus. I serve the master. And he says no. And when he says no, I have to hear that and I have to be in line with that. We follow Christ even when it costs us. We are to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We relate to one another on the basis of truth. We don't lie to one another, but rather we are honest with one another. And this commitment to truth involves both a negative perspective and a positive perspective. Negatively, we are to put away lying, dishonesty, deceitfulness has no place in the life of the Christian. Positively, we put on truth. 
Are we to be abrasive and rude? I'll tell you a mistake I made one time. My wife was going to Hattiesburg. Everybody that graduated in the 1970s had a class reunion. The whole 10 years had a class reunion. I didn't go. She gets her hair cut. She comes home and she says, how do you like my hair? I said, it makes you look older. That was not the right thing to say. I immediately recognized that was not the right thing to say. But she asked me. So in one way, if you don't want somebody's opinion to be honest, don't ask. In another way, we don't have to be rude and abrasive. You can say, well, it's different. <laughs> Spread around it. Just, just don't say it. it makes you look older. You may say, I like it longer or something. But anyway, uh, don't be rude and don't be unwise uh, in the commitment to telling the truth, uh, we are to be honest. We also also to be always kind and loving, recognizing that our words have meaning and they have significance. Well, you notice here in the scriptures that the reason that we do this is because we are members of one another. Look around this building. Look around. Don't look at me. Look around. We're members of one body. We are related to one another spiritually. And we serve the same God. We serve the same master. And we, run, we strive for the same end, which is the glory of Christ and the good of the church. What does lying do in the church? It destroys it. What does lying do in marriage? It destroys it. What does lying do in relationships? It destroys those relationships. We are the body of Christ. We have been purchased by the Lord Jesus. We are part of the body by the grace of our God. And then we are to see to it that we are good members in the body, making it as healthy as we possibly can. We are to strive to be honest, to tell the truth, and to do so in a loving and compassionate way because we want to see the body of Christ as healthy as it possibly can be. Be truthful and honest with one another. And here's a question. Let's say you're at a garage sale. Let's say they have a painting there that you recognize is an authentic Picasso. I'm on a, one of those people. You hear, you hear stuff like that happening. People find these paintings that are turned out to be very, very valuable paintings. Let's say you see it. Let's say you know what it is. You know that it is extremely, over a million dollars, let's say, extremely valuable. Would you go up to them and say, you understand what this is? You're selling for 12 bucks. This is worth probably over a million dollars. I would take this out of here. Or would you buy it, take it home with you, sell it? Well, the right thing to do would be to tell these people that don't know what they're doing, what they're doing. This painting of yours belongs in a museum. This painting of yours is extremely valuable. You're making a mistake by selling it for 12 bucks. I'll give you 15 for it. <laughs> well, we see the implications of what it means for us to tell the truth and that we are to be honest in all situations and we are to look out for the good of others. And we do this because of who Jesus is and because of what Christ has done for us. Christ calls us to it. He calls us to be truthful. He calls us to be stand for the truth. 
we are lights in the world as we represent Christ, who is the truth. And the implications of that is that we uh, do not shirk or hide the truth of the gospel in a world that hates it, and we are truthful with one another. Christ calls us to it. Let's pray. Our God and Heavenly 